Jackie. Um, I take it from the fact that you're all coming back in uh, dribs and drabs that you've had some really amazing, engaging sessions and workshops. So um, I'm the unfortunate person that stands between you and your lunch, so I shall try and be as quick as possible. So I was given this title of What Bet Doesn't Make a Mistake, and um, now I'm the chief executive, I can do what I like. So my first thing is to change the title, actually. So yes, it's about vets, but really, what person doesn't make a mistake? So there are some special aspects about veterinary surgeons, veterinary nurses being part of a regulated profession. But let's always remember that all of us make mistakes at any time. So... So could you also change the first word to say which? Could do. <laughs> I could do. But you know what? No. Now, um, who remembers the band James? Anybody in my era? Nicely done. I did a little test on my team in the office, most of whom are much younger than me, and they're like, oh, looks a bit like that futures. Um, so you've all been busy, but I want you just to stand up, please. Now, I want you to sit down. See the link now? James, sit down. I want you to please sit down. I'm not going to sing it. If you've ever driven faster than the speed limit, I'm being caught doing it. Oh. <laughs> I want you now to sit, sit down if you've ever forgotten somebody's birthday who's close to you. And I want you to sit down if you've ever forgotten to check whether you turn the gas off. Oh, we've got two people still standing. Well done, you. You can take a seat down, but, but uh, congratulations for not forgetting. So what I'm trying to say there is that... Um, Breaking a rule, missing something, forgetting to do something, not checking something properly. We all do it all of the time. All of the time, all of us. And in most walks of life, it may be something as simple as forgetting to send somebody a birthday card or getting something slightly wrong. But where you're dealing with life and death situations, those same mistakes can lead to rather more catastrophic results. And you may have seen the story that was in the Telegraph just a couple of days ago about um, a sad situation where a veterinary surgeon made what was an error in the same way that all of those things are errors, but it had wider-reaching effects for, for her patients. Um, so what I want to talk today about is, is why it's important to, to think about those mistakes, think about the context in which they're made, and think about how we can turn those into learning opportunities. Think about blame culture and learning culture. Um, and the first thing people might say is, well, what business is this of the college? You can understand why it's business of, of RCVS knowledge to look at quality improvement, but what business is it of the college? You're there about regulation, aren't you? This is the image that you often see, the gavel, people being struck off. Surely what you do is all about blame, isn't it? Isn't there an aspect to which that you, there's always going to be blame apportioned to what the RCVS is around? Um, but actually, if you look at our strap line, it's about setting, maintaining and advancing standards. And in that, it's in that advancing bit, in that continual learning culture, that we need to look at those mistakes and those errors and make sure that there's um, um, a feeling within the veterinary profession that they can be considered properly as part of a, of a learning process. Advancement only really works if we're all learning together. Um, to what I want to do over the next sort of 10, 15 minutes or so is give you a flavour of some of the things that we're looking at from a college point of view to try and put that culture in place. And it's something that we're taking seriously right from the top of the organisation. So um, our current senior vice president, Chris Tufnell, who was our president um, last year, said at RCVS Day, um, sadly we often hear that there are vets and nurses out there who live in fear of the RCVS. This is something of which I'm personally ashamed and I will do everything I can to replace this fear. Um, we also looked at, um, as, a, as a staff body, we've, we spent a bit of time looking at a particular video that I would urge you to see. I haven't got time to show it to you today. Um, by a um, heart specialist in the US, a um, uh, human heart specialist, Brian Goldman, called Doctors Make Mistakes, Can We Talk About That?, which looks at the impact of working in a profession where talking about mistakes seems to be taboo 
on, on the impact of actually learning and developing. So these things are starting to come together into sort of ideas coalescing um, around blame and learning, um, around the profession's ability to learn from its mistakes, around the fear factor from the college, which might mean that people are covering up things when they go wrong, so that what may have been um, a small mistake, the, the veterinary equivalent of forgetting a birthday code, ends up being something that our disciplinary committee is interested in because of the fact that people are then looking to change notes or lie about it or not talk to their colleagues in an honest and open fashion about it. Also, Jackie mentioned at the beginning that I work on the Mind Matters project, and we've seen, sadly, the impact that the idea of a culture in which people don't feel they're going to be treated fairly if they own up to having got something wrong can have a real impact um, on mental health. Um, and longer term, it can have an impact on, on public health and animal health and welfare if that learning piece um, isn't in place. Um, so we talk a little bit about a no-blame culture, which is a slightly difficult one because it's sort of trying to define something by a negative, essentially. And what's more useful is if we think about a learning culture or maybe even um, a just culture where what we're looking at is mistakes that are made, um, our reaction to them is, is proportionate to the, the, um, the training, the situation, the circumstances. So that people who still do things wrong willfully, um, with bad intent, um, still get um, the, the treatment that, that is appropriate to them. Um, so that's not to say that we as a college are, are suddenly not going to take anybody to tackle anything wrong. Um, but it's about making sure that you know, only gross professional misconduct is really taken in that way. And if that happens, um, if we are able to, as Alistair Campbell says here, evaluate defeat properly, um, then, then that's a positive for everybody. Um, the animal-owning public may feel that if, if the college says that we're looking to inculcate um, a, a professional culture which is less around blame, that actually that's bad for them and that we won't be taking matters seriously. But actually it's positive um, overall for, for animal health and welfare. Um, and also the idea that if we people talk to us at the college if, if they've made a mistake or feel they might be entering into an area which, which might cause something to go wrong, it's much better to talk to us earlier. Good news is bad news delivered early. And what we'd like to see on this little graph here, don't worry about the detail, but this has just been published in RCBS Facts 2016. And the green column is the advice calls that we receive. And the grey column is the concerns um, that we receive. And what will be fantastic over time is if that advice column goes up and up and up, and the number of concerns goes down and down. So people are recognising that it's okay to talk about things that have gone wrong or things that they think might go wrong, situations that they're in that might cause difficulties, and actually have those conversations. So they're seeing us as a, as a, a positive regulator, somebody who's enabling them to be the best bet they can be, rather as sort of um, uh, close the door after the stables, close the stable door after the horse has bolted regulator who's only interested in telling them off when, when things have gone wrong. Um, the culture piece is interesting. So, two conkers. Good day at work? Yeah, not bad. Got a splitting headache, though. You could say, well, that's kind of going to happen if you're a conker. You're going to get beaten over the head every day. And sometimes people say that about the renting profession. Well, we're not going to change anything. That's just how vets are. That's just how nurses are. That's just how the profession is. We're all scared of making a mistake. That's human nature. Uh, it is human nature to an extent. When I was just about to stand up here and George said to me, don't move away from the microphone too much because we're recording this as a podcast, my first thought was... Health bells, I better make sure I don't swear too much. I better not say anything that I wouldn't want to be broadcast to the nation. You know, you all worry all the time about getting it right and being perfectionist. Um, but that's not to say we can't gradually start to change the culture. We have shown that it's worked around um, communication skills. So back about 15, 20 years ago, I was involved with a project with the Veterinary Defence Society looking at communication skills and can we improve them. And the feeling very much at the time from a broad sway that the profession was, you either can communicate or you can't. You're born with it or you're not. It's not something you can be taught. 
and actually over a period of time I think that, that that's been shown to be um, a lie actually people have been taught communication skills through a detailed programme of activity similarly when we started off with um, the My Matters project nearly three years ago now there was quite a bit of um, uncertainty about the possibility of success with that project well if people have got difficulties they're not going to listen you're not going to attract the right people you can't teach people to be more resilient it's something you're born with or not and again I think over time we've shown that you can move um, you may be born with certain skills or certain natural abilities but you can move <coughs> Excuse me. and I think the same is true looking at culture around learning around trust around fairness um, that's quite important. But it's not all about the culture, and I've just been sitting in on a couple of the workshops as well. There's practical things that we can do to try and move this. Um, you know, it may well be that people don't talk about mistakes because they're worried they're going to get a ticking off. It may well be a practical thing. They don't have time in the day to do it. Or they don't have a room in the practice that's big enough for everybody to get into. Or they don't actually understand what it is they should be talking about and how they might change. So there's some practical steps that we can take um, alongside the broader, the broader cultural piece. Um, I also think that there's this piece about mistakes again, and this relates to the mental health issues, which is around um, certain prevalences of perfectionism um, in the veterinary profession. If you've got time, again, try and have a look at this video by Ken Robinson, which is around what happens, what, what changes people's mindset. So if you're, um, he, he talks in, in schools, and he says if you ask school kids a question, they'll all put their hands up, and they don't care if they got it right or wrong, they just want to say something, they want to get out there. But then as the years go by, people tend to sit on their hands because... They're worried about not getting it right. They're worried about being shown up. And then the, the transition moves where people start asking questions in conferences, and you'll have been there. People only start asking questions about things that they already know the answer to. They don't genuinely ask a question because they want to learn. They want to they ask a question because they want to show that they've got a bit of knowledge, and they want to try and catch somebody out. And you, you will all recognise this sort of behaviour. Um, so his premise is that there's something that we do to children that kills their creativity because they're not prepared to be wrong. And I think there's probably something in that too, um, as well, from a, from a veterinary team point of view. Um, and part of that is um, how we perhaps um, educate our students, um, vet and veterinary nursing students, um, the relationship between student and lecturer. Um, hands up anybody who remembers a lecturer that they had telling them about a mistake that they made as a, as a student or as a practitioner. <coughs> One or two, three, four, five. Okay, and hands up anybody who would list a lecturer or somebody who was part of their university experience as a formative influence on their careers. A lot. So see the disconnect there. So those people, those individuals having a huge formative influence, but not necessarily telling a positive story around being honest about making mistakes and what you can do around it. So that's something that we need to look at. This chap's interesting, and there's, there's many of these now on the internet started a bit of a trend. <coughs> if you Google him, he's put up his CV of failures. So what he's put up is all the grants that I didn't get, all the jobs that I applied for but I didn't get, all the papers that were not accepted for publication. And we could all do these, and it's very different from the CV that you put together to put yourself in the best possible light. Having just been through an incredibly time-consuming and rigorous process to get the, the new role that I have at college, you know, I know all about putting your best foot forward, but sometimes it's important to remember that all of us have these sort of potential negative things, um, and the failure becomes something that, that's hidden. You learn something from understanding what, what people's journey was to get to where they're going to. So those of you who are leaders in the room, and I don't just mean at the top of the retinue profession, but leaders in your teams, do remember to talk about how you got to where you, you got to. This one I like. So I'm in a group on Facebook for Oxford University. 
to err is human, to forgive is divine, neither of which is university policy. You could strike that out and say practice policy or ICBS policy or, or any organisation. Um, so, although at the college we obviously um, we focus on certificates and CPD and diplomas and specialist status, and those are all key things and, and very useful from an aspirational point of view. Actually, learning is a process. It's not just about a series of qualifications. And I think that's something that, that we really need to, to make clear in terms of how we... We look at um, the veterinary progression towards um, continuing to be better all of the time and how we support ICBS knowledge and its really, really excellent developments around quality improvement. And talking about certificates, I just wanted to share a little story with you. So this chap here, not Stephen May, the other one, an old friend of mine from school. Some of you may know him, David Gould. And he just collected his um, fellowship um, recently in um, ophthalmology. So on the 20th of October, which is the fellowship day, I posted this picture to his Facebook feed because I was in the audience, took a picture of him. On the 21st of October, <laughs> he posted this picture to his Facebook feed. This is his lovely dog, B, um, and that's his fellowship scroll. <laughs> and at this point, I'm only imagining what the B stands starting to stand for. Now, apparently that's just a bit of fun, but um, in that situation, then he, he and his wife have this hilarious diatribe going on Facebook about whose fault it was and who left the scroll on the floor and why was the dog allowed to access it and shouldn't it have been la la la. So you can see how it works and this idea that, you know, there's a blame culture around here and, and whose fault's that. Um, so, yeah, always look after your certificates. So we do take um, learning culture very seriously at the college and in fact when we launched our strategic plan at the beginning of this year, it's one of um, five strands of activity in there. Um, and establish, uh, an ambition to establish um, to which extent there's a blame culture in the veterinary professions, the role that we play in it, so really accepting the fact that the college has a role here, either willingly or as part of um, some sort of myths that get perpetuated about the college that we really need to try and address, the impact that it has on welfare of vets, nurses, owners, animals, and how we could all move together um, to, to develop a culture of greater learning and personal development. And there's a whole range of things in the strategic plan that we're doing to try and address this. Um, I won't go through all of these with you now, although I'm very happy to have a chat with you about the detail of it um, if you're interested. I'm conscious of lunch on the horizon. The first part of that was a survey that we did earlier in the year where um, over 7,000 vets and nurses had their say. Um, we were asking questions around reporting mistakes, trust, communication, incident reporting, complaints handling, who the influencers are. Um, in general terms, the feedback was, was, was relatively positive, but I think it did show that there are things that the college um, needs to do. Let me just excuse me while I grab the stats. We haven't published this yet, by the way. Um, we're in the process of doing some more qualitative work around it so we can publish a bit more of a, a detailed report. Um, of the people who responded, um, over three quarters of them were vets, 20% nurses, and the rest were practice managers and others. 90% um, felt that they were held to account in their practice if something goes wrong, but there was a high level of fear of that sort of accountability. Over half felt there were fair and balanced systems in the workplace for conducting investigations, so that does leave about half who felt that there weren't. And similarly with the college, we've still got quite a lot of work to do to convince people, I think, that the way we handle complaints is fair and balanced. I'm confident that they are. it is fair and balanced, but we need to um, better explain that process and be a little bit more transparent in the way that we work. I think, so that's something on my, on my to-do list. Um, what was good, though, that there were high levels of trust um, within practice around how colleagues might work with them um, if there'd been mistakes, which was really positive. So we need to think about how we can open this out and reach broader, broader levels of individuals kind of across, across the businesses. Regulated professions can only work if there's a high level of trust both within the profession and between 
the profession and those who are impacted on their behaviour so that the people who are benefiting from their services, essentially. Um, so I think we have to accept as a college that we've got a major role in this, but it does spread into other areas. So, for example, how the media reports our disciplinary cases. We're always very careful not to say in press releases that we're striking anybody off because it's quite volatile language, but often that gets... Um, reported in the media in that way. So there's the things that we can look at there, I think, to reduce the fear factor. Um, just as an interesting aside, um, you might think that the college, we're always telling you when you've got stuff wrong and that we're being very unfair about it. So I just wanted to share this one with you. When we sent out that survey, um, unfortunately there was a typo in it. It happened. Doubly unfortunately, it happened to be in one of the headers, so it appeared on quite a few pages. And we had one gentleman, a veterinary surgeon, who emailed us, saying, um, I took the survey... But if the attention to spelling is an indicator of how the RCVS now functions, it was a complete waste of my time. So we get those two. It's not just you. Um, other things that we've been doing around this area, as you probably know, is we've been focusing on more of an outcomes-based approach to CPD, um, a more of a reflective approach so that people are, again, looking at what they've learned with very much on the emphasis on um, the kind of what did you learn, so what, and then what next. So those sort of three simple areas. Again, the language is important. I think when we first launched that project, people felt that reflection meant writing a 5,000-word essay on something, and actually we're looking for relatively short but thoughtful contributions from people. Um, so that pilot's ongoing and has just been broadened out. Um, we're also looking at a review of graduate outcomes, which is a project that was triggered by the Vet Futures project that we're doing jointly with the British Veterinary Association, and trying to look at how we can develop behaviours um, in new graduates um, through, through their um, veterinary um, teaching that enable them to, to deal better with some of the things that might lead to um, a fear of explaining where things have gone wrong. So, for example, to try and be more resilient, to be more self-directed, to become curious and continue to learn. What was interesting was that I think there was a fear when we started that project that lots of technical things would be required to be added to the curriculum. Actually, there was a really quite clear consensus right at the beginning, and this is across a broad group of practitioners, employers, um, students and recent graduates, that actually what needed to be addressed were behaviours and skill sets around some of those softer skills rather than clinical skills. So we're not going to end up with a, a veterinary uh, curriculum that stretches for eight years, which is always good. Um, and also another thing we've been doing around support, and hopefully you'll be aware of some of this, is our um, Mind Matters project. So there's three strands of activity within that. One is prevent, so looking at what we can address within the veterinary professions um, that may lead to mental health issues. The second is protect, which is looking at developing skills for individuals while we change the bigger, bigger picture. And finally, support, which we mainly do at arm's length through um, funding of vet life and other services. Um, I think what's key there is that um, it's trying to make sure that people feel comfortable about their working environment and they feel um, that they've got the trust and the support of, of their peers. Um, so finally, I think I'm almost running to time, um, I would just like to say it's actually really hard to do this stuff and it's not going to be a quick fix and we need everybody to be involved. Um, trying to be open-handed about mistakes, sometimes somebody does something in the team and you just get really fed up with it um, and that's kind of okay but you then just need to have the process to make sure that you, you treat that longer term um, something which is, a, which is a positive and just to give you an indication of that, I've tried to over the last... 20 minutes, not to mention this, but I feel I'm going to have to mention it. You spelt my name wrong, girls. You spelt my name wrong. I'm sorry. That's a mistake. We're going to deal with it. We'll have a learning lesson about it. Um, but we need to move on. That's the other thing. We need to move on. At this point, we need to move on to lunch, which is right behind you. And I think um, that's probably the next thing on the list. Is it, Chris? Yeah. So thank you very much.